You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Paula Rebson. Paula, thanks so much for being with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Paula, uh, you're talking to me from Seattle. It's December 2nd in 2021. This has been uh, a tough year or so for artists. What's, what's happened in, in your world in the last year in Seattle or otherwise, and how has that impacted um, what you do, what you teach, what you make? Yeah, um, that's a, a deep question for sure. Um, so for me, I am an artist. I'm um, an educator. I teach at North Seattle College full-time, and I'm also a mother. And so all of those things uh, sort of couldn't happen at the same time same time I couldn't give all of those things the attention that they needed um, and so I really had to dive into um, teaching uh, because we had to switch to teaching online and I was teaching sculpture and um, lots of other hands-on processes and then my daughter who um, is about to turn seven uh, had started kindergarten online remotely um, so like my whole family was home we were two parents working full-time, which we were fortunate to be able to keep working, um, but we did have our daughter with us full-time as well. <laughs> so um, it was a lot to manage, um, and those were the things that I, I kind of dove into, and the art practice kind of had to sit on the side for a little bit. Well, that, that, I certainly understand that. I, um, that's happened to, to so many people, right? There's kind of kids at home and the kind of difficulty of, of supporting that, but also, yeah, your, your, your own space becomes really, really challenged, um, for sure. So, um, so, so within that, how did you think about your, your, your art practice? It was put on the side. Were there things that, <laughs> ideas that you were still kind of uh, chalking up, or, or how did you deal with kind of wanting to do things but not having that time, and, and, and was there any way that, that you kind of kept the thread going in terms of just thinking about it? Yeah. Um, well, there was a moment where I thought that I was going to turn into a, a YouTube performance artist. <laughs> and I think that some of that um, came out of a little bit of a manic state of like um, having to put my daughter to bed and then go into the garage studio that became my new demo studio, like recording late into the night. And, um, you know, to make videos for my students, but then I started posting them on YouTube, and I was like, well, these are useful for other people, and I should share these with people, and as I was recording demo videos, I was like both talking to my students and also like this imaginary audience, <laughs> like out in, you know, virtual wherever, and, and then I would catch myself doing that as I was recording, and I would find it really funny and weird. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my gosh, is this like a route that I could go? But uh, I never really went any further with that. It was like once I kind of had recorded the last demo video I needed, I <laughs> just put the camera away. But I do think about that. There's something interesting there about, like, who you're making work for and, and if there's a way that you could – you know, take your teaching practice and somehow loop it into a, um, your artistic practice. But um, so that was like one little, <laughs> one little side thought that I had. And, you know, it's still there. I don't know that anything will come of that. Um, 
I also uh, picked up this book during the pandemic um, just because I thought the cover was beautiful. And when I did go out into the world, it was like really quick and I would just grab things. I was like, this is pretty. And I, and I brought it home and it, it's um, called Never Home Alone. And it's um, about the sort of like um, the biology of the things that are living within your home. Um, and that started to kind of become this really interesting thread for me to think about. Um, a lot of my previous work prior to having a child um, was large outdoor installation-based work, and I was interested in animals interacting with these spaces and sort of creating these, like, stages and sets for them that would, like, obscure the view of them in nature. I was using wildlife motion sensor cameras. So those kinds of things required lots of time and space, and, like, I'd have to either go to a residency or go to my um, parents' uh, farm in North Dakota to do something like that. So after I had a child, I didn't have time and space to do those things, and I switched to quilting and making sculptural installations with those. And, um, but then I read this book, and I had been missing that connection to nature and the wild, and I was realizing that there are lots of things living within our own homes and thriving within our own homes. And I was stuck at home. <laughs> so um, that kind of became something interesting. Um, and so that's like another little nugget that's happening. Um, but most recently, what I have been doing is, um, since my studio practice was so impacted, I just decided that I was going to um, take these motion sensor cameras that I have and just put them out in my backyard to start recording little things that are happening, to actually see what animals um, occupy my own yard um, at night when I'm not there or when my dog's not running around. Um, and so those are kind of the areas that I'm, that I'm sort of fluctuating between, um, is now thinking more about my own personal space, my own living space, um, both internal but then sort of external, kind of what is just surrounding um, my house and maybe even um, my neighborhood. I know there are lots of urban coyotes and different things like that, for example. So that That's was a really interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, but that, that also relates to the, the, I'm glad you, you shared that because that is part of like process and thinking. And it sounds like it, it also, you know, relates back to your, to your, your family, the farm, your relationship to animals. So now you're, you're, you're in a, a very different place, and what's in your backyard is, mm -hmm. is, is not at all what looks like, or I don't know about that book, what's actually in your house, but it sounds like um, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> kind of scary. But, you know, you know, but, but, I, but I imagine it's all kinds of microbes, right? We're surrounded by, yeah. by all kinds of living things. And, um, yeah. And, and so seeing them is what, is, what, is what kind of is part of that, or bringing them or reading about them. So, so what are you seeing? What's in your backyard or, or house <laughs> that you haven't noticed yeah. before. <laughs> well, you know, the spiders are always there, but now we um, leave them stay in the house. <laughs> um, and my daughter, if I hear her in the bathroom saying like, oh, hello, friend, I know that she found a spider. <laughs> um, so, you know, those are some of them. But um, I won't go too deep into the book. It's a great read, though. Um, so Never Home Alone by Rob Dunn. Um, outside, you know, I'm not seeing 
too much that's like totally unexpected. Um, I've got uh, on the camera a possum, um, squirrels, and some some birds, neighbors, cats. Um, I haven't seen any uh, coyotes with the camera, but um, I've seen uh, one in the neighborhood. Um, and then, you know, word on the street is that there are plenty more. Um, so I just kind of have them out there just kind of as placeholders and um, almost like as a routine so that I go check on them. Um, but eventually the plan is to set up um, some kind of stage or prop so that I'm obscuring the view. Like I'm not interested in just recording what's happening. I'm interested in recording what's happening, but then like altering your view or perception of what you think is happening. So like not through digital manipulation, but through physically um, setting up like obstructions in the, uh, in front of the camera or like diffusing the light in a way that when an animal comes into the, the view, like half of it becomes blurred and half of it is in focus or um, kind of things like that. So I'm, I'm interested in taking it a step further than just like, look at these cute animals in my backyard. Um, and I did a project similar to this um, prior to moving out to Seattle and having my child. I was at an um, artist residency in California at Jurassi, and I set up these cameras and these props, and I got some really amazing results from that project. Um, and I think it's a really strong project, but it happened to be at a time in my life when there were so many transitions that um, it just kind of, I mean, it, it was exhibited, but it, I haven't done much more with those ideas since. And so I'm kind of thinking of going back to that um, undetected project and thinking even more about how to alter and obscure these, these views. And, and it's also playing a little bit with surveillance technology, which allows us so much instant access to things. And I don't think we're like fully thinking about what that, um, what giving up that privacy means. And so, um, so I'm kind of thinking about that, but I'm using animals as my subjects instead of instead of people as my subjects. Like, yeah, what, that's really you know, so what interesting. Like, 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 because these are things we don't see, right? What's in the backyard at night at different times of the day is is literally the world we we don't see this idea of a camera being fixed and recording endlessly is kind of an extraordinary thing. Is that how it works? I mean, besides obscuring the views, you have cameras that are set up that aren't, that are triggered by movement or light or, or, or how does it, how does uh, yeah. it work? Are they just rolling all the time or, or, or movement oriented? No. Yeah, no, that's a good question too. I'm a little like, um, I'm not super tech savvy, and I'm also a little bit of afraid of <laughs> all of the surveillance technology. So, like, you know, we don't have, um, you know, cameras all over the house that are wired. Um, what we have, what I have, are these um, these cameras by this company called Reconnex, and um, they are for wildlife biologists and and hunters as well um, to do scouting and and research. And they were um, designed really for outdoor use in remote locations with like extreme cold weather and so they have long battery life and things like that. Um, so I bought these cameras several years ago before they had the video technology. So they are triggered by motion. I could also just set them on a time lapse so I can, you know, have a, a photo every minute or every hour or every day at the same time. Um, and I've done some of that to like record light. It, it's really, anyways. Um, 
And then they have infrared, so they'll be triggered um, at night as well. But they do have new ones that will record video and will record audio um, and that you also could have transmitted to your phone. So I'm still just using, like it doesn't feel like they're that old, but in some ways the <laughs> more analog um, version of this kind of technology, which is like a camera that's in a lockbox at a fixed position and I have to actually like go unlock it and take out the SD card and upload it to my um, computer um, to access yeah, it's the not, it's, it's, it's not quite analog, <laughs> but it's, 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 no. uh, it's, it's unconnected. It's offline. Right? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's offline. <laughs> right. It's not floating so, around um, that's, cloud, a, that's so interesting. And, and, um, and I imagine for your, your daughter too, that's kind of exciting to see these also animals and in a purely kind of, fun, playful way, you have like a zoo in your backyard. Right? <laughs> Not quite, but yeah, I mean, it, it, is, um, it, is, it is exciting to, you know, pull out the SD card and um, pop it into the computer and, and, and look. Oftentimes there's nothing though. Um, and so, you know, she kind of gets a little bored <laughs> with that when like nothing is happening. Right. In the but I can but entice it's kind of, it's kind of a, I mean, I would think for, for educational purposes or for a child, it's also introducing you to, to being a naturalist to some degree. I, I, a lot of people, I, I don't know about that term, but, 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 you know, people who observe nature, who are, who are interested in it, who write books about it, who, who are looking, right? I mean, isn't, isn't yeah. that kind of the definition of a naturalist? I know this is, we're talking about it in the context of art, but also in the context of your family, or your daughter, it's, it's also about introducing yeah. her to, to being a naturalist, right? Yeah, no, I think that that's um, absolutely true. And, and a lot of my work, you know, when I sort of had two paths to choose, uh, it was like, I'll either be an artist or I'll be a wildlife biologist. So um, a lot of that is really um, important to me and I infuse that into my work. And it's funny coming from North Dakota and living in a smaller town um, and, you know, thinking that nature was outside of your, where you live because it was. It was like we'd go to the farm or we'd go to the Badlands or we'd go to the National Park. We were like going places to interact with nature. And um, I hadn't sort of thought too much about um, how nature is basically all around us, even in these, you know, like urban environments, like living in Seattle, um, there's still so much that is happening around us. And um, I'd been aware of urban coyote populations for many years, but I, I just started hadn't thinking about my bubble, my nature bubble getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so it was really fun to talk to her uh, you know, to show her the images from the camera. But then as I was reading this book, I was like telling her all the fascinating things I was discovering and, and learning about all the things that were in our home. And we'd, you know, get excited and also grossed out at the same time. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is, it is fun to um, include her in that kind of research that I do for my own practice, which, you know, as you said, is teaching her a little bit about um, being interested in, in um, exploring those kinds of things and learning more about them and being curious and, you know, all of that. Yeah, that's so, and that's so cool. And um, it also seems like one of those sort of pandemic things, like looking closer, taking more time. Uh, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about the, like the teaching uh, and, and the kind of performance aspect of that, because like you were saying, you know, you're making these videos or, or Zoom, that's been a whole new world, right? This kind of, 
uh, teaching on, on, on camera and and it is kind of more of a performance, right? It's recorded. I remember, you know, my son was in well, the first year of college then and he was he was showing me teachers on Zoom and and, and viewing it somewhat like performances, you know. Uh, he said, look, this teacher, I think, is having a drink. And, you know, he cut a clip from it, and it looks like the guy's having like a, like a, like a drink. Or, or, you know, there was another one of a teacher from his college kind of uh, dancing a little bit and, and, and making a song for the kids saying, you know, um, kind of kind of trying to say it's, it's going to be all right. We're, you know, we're in this together. But it it, mm-hmm. it actually had the opposite effect and went kind of viral because it looked like this teacher's crazy. You know, she thinks everything's <laughs> fine and we're in a pandemic, you know. So, um, so you know, these are college professors. And, and um, oh. so it seems that, that, that there's a whole – that something else is happening, right, in terms of what you were saying, it's, it's, it, of it being kind of a performance. It's not just teaching online. It's something else is going on. And, and, there, and there are other – other possibilities, it seems. Yeah, I think that there are lots of possibilities within that. And, um, you know, it really makes you rethink what your role is as an educator. And um, I think in the classroom, like, I, you know, I don't think that we need to feel like we're performers and that we're entertainers <laughs> because we're educators. But I do know that in the classroom I feel like um, – like I'm pretty performative and uh, I don't break out jazz hands, but you know, I'm, I'm very animated and, um, and I think I'm funny sometimes too. So, uh, you know, so I try to like engage my students in those ways. And that was like so hard to figure out how to translate that over video uh, where you don't have anybody responding to you, um, you know, to you, so where you, you know how to sort of like shift your humor a little bit or what you're teaching or like, are you even learning this? Uh, like, it, you know, if you see blank stares, you know how to like redirect or reiterate something. But in the video, you're just talking to yourself, it feels like. Um, and so that starts to get a little bit funny. And, um, you know, and then you can go down the rabbit hole of like, well, how many people have viewed this? I have, you know, this many students in my class, and, but not all of them have viewed it. Or sometimes you have a video. There's this one really silly video I have. It was like one of the first ones I made of like making a, a light box um, using like two sheets of foam board. And one had like a hole cut in it because I couldn't get any more foam board. It was like at the start of the pandemic. And it's got like 500 views, and it's, it's a terrible video. And it's like, why are people watching this? But um, I, maybe I should rewatch that one to see why that's getting um, more views. But, um, yeah, that performative aspect is interesting and, and just not getting the feedback from the students is I think what creates that, that weird uh, sort of tension in the videos where you're like, how do, I, how do I interact or engage or entertain? Or I don't know. I have um, respect for people that are able to manage that um, and do it well. I think I'm... Yeah. I think I'm in the middle. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we all are. No one knows just what to do, and and it's a it's a changing environment. So, um, so we'll see what what happens in the in the future. Uh, I, it's been great talking to you. I want to ask you one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment? Well, um, I guess I gave you that sneak peek. Um, and, about Never Home Alone. Um, Never Home Alone. And right. Never Home Alone is, is a great one. 
And the other ones that I sort of just like have standard next to my bedside um, that I will pull out often and regularly to read are the um, books that Sharon Loudon has uh, edited, The Artist is Cultural Producer, Living and Sustaining a Creative Life, and then the other one, Living and Sustaining a Creative Life, which is the Essays by 40 Working Artists. And um, I found that to be sort of like a really comforting series to, to read to um, learn more about artists that I already know and admire and then um, and learn more about their working practice and how they're engaging with their communities and how they got their start. Um, in, especially at this time when I feel like I'm not really, I don't, I'm not really running. I'm just sort of slowly walking my way back into my practice. Um, it's, it's been nice to, to read um, some of those essays that Sharon Loudon has uh, gathered and edited together. So, Paula, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure talking. I, I wish you well with, with everything in the future. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And um, thank you so much for um, also all of the interviews that you have put together. They also have been fantastic to listen to uh, during this time as well. So I appreciate uh, your work as well. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.